Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 8. That's going to be our text today. We're going to conclude our victorious series that we've been in today. I'm looking forward to what God has in store for us next. But we're going to conclude today with a message entitled Free Indeed. Free Indeed. How many of you are grateful that we're free? That goes into a whole lot of different ways. I'm grateful that we live in a land of the free. I'm grateful that, according to Scripture, I'm free. I'm grateful that I can have all that God's Word says I can can have. Amen? The Bible says that I can be victorious today because of what He did yesterday. The Bible says that all of God's promises are yes and amen. And we're going to see those through. Amen? If you've got your Bibles there in John chapter 8, it'll be on the screens if you'd like to read along. John chapter 8, verses 30 through 32 say this, that then many who heard him say these things believed in him. Verse 31 says, then Jesus said to the people who who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now see, how you read it and where you put the emphasis shows a lot about how you receive that. You follow me? And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, where you put the emphasis in life, how we read it, how we grasp it, matters for how we live that out. Where do you put the emphasis as you read this passage? Where do you put the emphasis? Is it on then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free? For me, I'm just going to be honest, and I'll get to this in just a minute, but I put it on no. And then you will know the truth. And I'm going to explain why the know is the important part of that equation to me. See, true freedom is not found in knowing anything. It's found in knowing someone. Amen? I'm grateful that freedom is not found in anything. It's not. It's found in who we know and who knows us. Jesus said that he was the truth, the life, and the way. Amen? He alone has everything we need. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the way. Not a way, not a truth, not a life. He is the truth. The one and only truth that we can't escape from. It's found in him. Now, our text that we just read is often quoted. It is often used, and at times it's misapplied, if we're honest. Regardless of how many colleges have some portion of this scripture plastered on their walls, on their buildings, it's not a call to or against education. That's not the point of the scripture. It's meant to indicate that academic learning, it's not meant to indicate that academic learning is the key to liberty and freedom. That's not true. If education were the key to spiritual freedom, the world would have already been one to Jesus, amen? We can teach people all day long, but we can teach them, and that doesn't mean it's going to change them. I know countless people that have known the Word of God. They could tell you Scripture after Scripture. I know people who have memorized it front ways and back ways and sideways and inside out, and yet today they still don't know a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Education is important. I'm not diminishing that. It's highly important. It's how we, we embrace. It's how we learn. It's how we, we grow in our knowledge of the truth that Scripture teaches. The meaning of our text here is that true freedom comes in faithful relationship with Jesus. 
knowing his word, living it out, applying it rightly to our lives, walking in relationship with him. Now, the reason I put the emphasis on know in this verse is because in the Greek, it's the word gnosko. It's probably one of my favorite Greek words in all of scripture because it's so full of meaning. Gnosko means this, it's experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge. Have you ever experienced something that was so terrifying? Like one of those dreams that you just can't seem to wake up from? I mean, it's just horrible. Have you, anybody ever had one of those? I mean, I had one the other day, and all of my dreams like that all have to do with snakes. Y'all know me, I hate them. And every time there's a video that comes up on Facebook that has a snake, all I can do is stay glued to it. I hate them, but I have to watch them. And it was a farmer um, uh, in, in uh, South America, and he, he goes out, and this humongous boa constrictor, I'm guessing, has one of his goats, and it's strangling it. Well, he just takes out his gun, and, I mean, just skilled, a skilled shot. One time, boom, right off goes with, off with its head. And I thought, that's the way to do it. The only thing that would have been better is if it would have shotgun, you know, but then you might kill the goat too. But anyway, he, he manages to get it done, right? I know when I watch this, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to have a bad dream. Sure enough, that night, what happens? I'm the goat. Right? That's not the terrifying part. The terrifying part was Rachel was the farmer. Yeah, now you're feeling my, my fear. She's the farmer, and she's got the gun. And I'm not sure who's, who's in worse trouble, me or the snake, right? <laughs> All I know is I was grateful that about that time she slapped me as hard as she could slap me and told me, you need to roll over your snoring. I went, oh, thank God. There's no snake and there's no gun, <laughs> right? We have those fears, now, my fear is not based on anything experiential. I've never experienced being attacked by a boa constrictor. I've never been attacked by a snake. I hate them, though. With a burning passion, I hate them. Like, I don't understand why God ever created them, them and mosquitoes. It just doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. I don't have any experience with that. Sometimes our fears are based on, exper on experiences. Those change things. When you're afraid because of what you have experienced, everything's different. In the same way, when you know that God can see you through because you have experienced that, that changes things, amen? There is nothing like knowing, the doctor may have said, you've got a bad report, but knowing that Jesus is capable of healing you, Jesus is capable of restoring that because he's already done it in your life in the past, amen? Now, I've experienced that in my life. I don't worry about it when I get headaches. I don't worry about it when I have pain. I don't worry about any of that kind of stuff. Why? Because I know that that pain, that discomfort is temporary, but God can see me through on the other side of it. I know the truth. I know that the truth says that he can heal, that he can restore, that he can make new. I know it's true because I've experienced it, amen? I know what it is to be saved because I've experienced salvation. I've experienced his love. I've experienced his grace. I've experienced the power of his spirit. I have experienced who he is. You can't take that away. Now, here's the other truth that goes with this. The man with an education 
is not superior to the man with an experience. I know a lot of highly educated people that don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I would love for them to come and experience it. Amen? I know a lot of highly educated people that don't believe in healing. I would love for them to hear some of your stories of healing. I know a lot of highly educated people that don't believe that the the principle of tithing is for today. I would love for them to hear so many of your stories of how you began to tithe and God began to show his faithfulness in unprecedented ways. I would love for people to hear the power of the experiences that we have had. Just because someone has education doesn't make them superior to the man who has experience because experience changes everything. And if we're going to truly be free, if we're going to be free indeed, it begins with a faithful experience. It begins with a true experience with the power of the living God. Amen? You see, the more we know, the more we experience the truth, the more that grows in our lives, the more we'll grow in fruitful fellowship. But it all starts with being faithful in our following of Jesus. That's what the text really says. We've got to start with being faithful to follow the Lord. The New Testament makes it plain that there's a correlation between faith in Jesus and obedience to his message. Those two can't be separated. This idea that you could say and proclaim that you have faith in Jesus, but your lifestyle doesn't have to match that, is something that is completely foreign to what Scripture teaches. Over and over and over again, it says that if you know him, you will follow his commands. That if you have experienced his grace, that your lifestyle has changed. You don't live like the Gentiles or like the pagans that you used to be. Instead, your life has been changed. Faithful following is the the foundational cornerstone that you've experienced the power of the living God. Freedom is found when we're content to thrive inside of his word and his message. That, my friends, is true freedom. When I'm willing to just thrive inside of that that safety net that is the scriptural foundation that we live by, when, when, when I am okay with freedom not being that I have to find out where the small, thin line between okay and not okay, between sinning and not sinning is, and trying to cling to that line, I don't want to live so close to sin that I might slip in. Instead, I want to live full of the power and the presence of God, full of Jesus, so that my life has been changed. You know, uh, uh, Raymond, just before service, we were, we were talking. He has the drones, and he was showing me some of the footage from Colorado. And, and my friend Lawrence has a drone. Now, now, Lawrence doesn't take it to Colorado and fly it up in the mountains like Raymond was doing. Lawrence takes it and flies it up on the golf course behind him and sets it to follow me. And then as he plays that hole, the drone just keeps following him while he's playing the hole. So then he has footage of the hole that he just played. And it's a really unique thing. Yet, the footage that Raymond has, Raymond's like, I'm not going to use the follow me feature because if it doesn't follow me and it loses it and it falls, I'm going to look over the edge of the cliff 2,000 feet down and try to spot the drone that I can't get back. Why even take the chance? You're so close to the edge. Why even take the chance? See, freedom is found in staying inside the guardrails that Scripture provides. Not seeing how close to sin we can get and calling it freedom. For far too long we've said, well, 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 the Bible doesn't say this specifically. I'm sorry, but the essence of sin is what captures our hearts and what captivates us and then sucks us in so that we become its slave. 
I don't want to live that way. I want to live free. I want to live completely free, following Jesus faithfully, clinging to his word inside and out. I don't even want to have the hint or the appearance of, of sinfulness. I don't even want a hint of that cling to me. I've got to avoid that, the very appearance of evil. I've got to stay away from it. Far too often in Scripture we read where, where the believers were praised for clinging to the teachings that they had received in spite of others falling away or the persecution that they had endured. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 12, Paul is, is writing there and he says some amazing things. He says uh, that they were implored. He says, uh, and you know that how we treated each other. Uh, we treated you as a father treats his own children. We, ple- we pleaded with you and encouraged you and urged you to live your life in a way that God would consider worthy for he has called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. How did he treat them? Like a father does his kids. Are there times that as a dad you had to swat your kid's tail? You better believe it. Are there times that you've had your tail swatted because your dad thought you needed it? Yes. Are there times that God says, hey, listen, we've got to make a change in this? You better believe it. But we've got to embrace that because as a loving father, he has a plan for our lives. We've got to be willing to let him work in our hearts and work in our lives and receive that. But we've got to stay the course and remain faithful regardless of what we experience. What does that look like today? What does it look like today to to faithfully follow? Well, perhaps it means that we remain faithful regardless of if a celebrity pastor fails. We remain faithful in spite of current or future court rulings. We stay the course of what Scripture says regardless of what society tells us. The government, let's grasp this. The government did not give me the freedom in Christ that I have and they can't take it away. Our government may have given me the freedom to worship, but they can't and they didn't choose Jesus for me. I chose to follow him and that's a freedom that no document can take away and no jail cell can keep out. That same freedom is why our brothers and sisters around the world who have been imprisoned for Jesus have never truly been been imprisoned. They may have had shackles, but through their faith in Jesus, they were completely free indeed, amen? Regardless of what society may have said, when you found freedom here, that can never be taken away. Could that day be coming for America, that the, in the land of the free because of the brave, the nation that was built on Judeo-Christian values by men who feared the one true living God? Possibly that day could come that our, 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 our ability to worship in freedom could be taken away. But if it does... God will give us the grace to stand up underneath the weight of it. Whether that day does come or not, it's not nearly as important as you and I learning to remain faithful no matter what comes our way, amen? We've got to remain faithful. We have to faithfully follow. When we faithfully follow him, like each and every one of us are trying to do on a regular basis, I don't know any of you that say, you know what, today I'm going to throw it all away and I'm going to forsake Jesus. That doesn't normally happen, right? What happens is day by day, we get separated. But as you are faithfully day in and day out, giving it your best, giving it your everything to follow Jesus, what happens is we become the salt of the earth. We become that city that's set on a hilltop for the world to see, amen? When we faithfully follow, we become something that others want to see, that no true uh, uh, unbeliever can bring charge against. Why? Because we're faithfully following Jesus. They may find trumped up charges that they can lay at our feet, but at the end of the day, what they'll find is that there's nothing that anyone can say but good things about us. Why? Because we're faithfully following the one who gave his all for us, and we're willing to genuinely love and give away that so others can know it. We become the grace-filled, loving, kind, 
fruit of the spirit-filled people that the world can't find any reason to have issue with. Now, I said fruit of the spirit-filled, not fruity. Not nuts, not quacks, not kooks. Fruit of the spirit-filled. That's an important distinction. You know why that's an important distinction? Because when we're filled with the spirit, it's not about being weird and calling it spiritual. It's not about being a nut and calling it, I'm following Jesus. Because when we're filled with the spirit, we're filled with his ability to do what we can't normally do and love in the face of severe opposition. To love in the face of real pain and real hurt. When we're that way, we are free indeed. When we're free indeed, we have a freedom to love like there's no tomorrow. When we're filled with the Spirit, we have a freedom to be happy and to be filled with joy at the circumstances that today has brought us because they present a chance for us to demonstrate this faith that we have, that it's real, that it's true, and that Jesus is on our side. That's what it means to be free indeed. We have a freedom to be kind to those that the world says we don't have to be kind to anymore. We have a freedom to see past skin color, hear beyond language barriers, and embrace across cultural lines because we're all brothers and sisters in Jesus. When we faithfully follow him, it's proof in the pudding that we have been set free from the patterns of this world, amen? Faithfully following means... I live by the patterns of Scripture and not what the culture around us tells us. Not what everyone else would say, this is the new modern way of following Jesus. Listen, it doesn't matter if we're modern or if we're old school, it doesn't matter any of that as long as we're true to this. Amen? This is what matters. Is this what we're living by? Is this what we're living by? Leonard Ravenhill's epitaph on his tombstone says, is what you're living for worth Jesus dying for? That's what matters. Are we living according to what Scripture says? Are we putting this into practice? When we talk about cultural issues, that's a whole different issue that that could take us down a a long road that I don't want to deal with today. Maybe one day in the future we'll do a Christ and culture series and just deal with some of that. I'd love to do that, but as the Lord leads, we'll, we'll jump into that. But what we've got to stay the course with is that faithfully following Jesus and the freedom that he's given us produces fruitful fellowship. Now, it's great to be a faithful follower, When we get to heaven, that's really important. What is Jesus going to say on that judgment day? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Faithful. Faithfulness is important. It's very high on God's list, amen? Faithfulness is, you, you can't get past it. Faithfulness is really important. But while we're here on earth, there's a second part of that. We have to be fruitful, We have to have fruitful fellowship, and we're going to look at what this means because fruitful fellowship is really, really important, and Jesus dealt with it. In fact, he talks about it in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. He says, to remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it has been severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Fantastic passage. 
Favorite segment in all of Scripture is John chapter 13 and on. Deals with the last week of Jesus' life, and I love every part of it. When we, when we look at this, what does fruitful fellowship mean? Well, fellowship is defined as enjoying his presence, conforming to his image, and enjoying his happiness. Enjoying his happiness. What are the things that makes God happy? Well, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one lost soul comes home. Obviously, souls matter a great deal to God, amen? He paid an ultimate price so that you and I could come to know him. He paid a price that we could never have paid just so that we could have fellowship with him. He paid the price so that at the end of the day, we are in line with him. Uh, another word that would fit really well here is abide. Abide. Uh, depending on what version of the Bible you have in front of you, it might say something like this. If you abide in me and I with you, then we will remain together, right? Abide in me. That, that's a big term. Five short letters, big term. When we abide, it means to stay connected. It means to remain in him. It, re it means to allow him to remain in us. We have to abide in him because if we're severed from him, we cannot produce fruit. And fruit is something that's really important. If we're gonna be fruitful, that just literally means that we're gonna produce fruit. You reproduce who you are. Jesus said that if you're my disciples, you will bear much fruit. What is the fruit? What is fruit? What does it mean? Well, in the context of Scripture, it means souls. That's what Proverbs 11.30 says. It says that the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. We make a difference in the lives of others, and guess what happens? They want to know why we are that way. We make a difference in them, and all of a sudden, they want to know about this Jesus that we've been talking about. Why? Because we have lived it out in front of them, day in and day out. Our fellowship, our connection with God, our connection to Jesus, our experiential knowledge of who he is overflows into the lives of others. I want to know Jesus. I don't want to just simply know about him, but I want to know him intimately, amen? I don't, I don't want to just know that he can do it. I want to know that he did it because I saw it happen. That's why the song that we sang is so important to me, that we will pursue him. I'm going to pursue your presence. Strip everything away. That's fine with me. As long as it's me and you, that's okay. If it means I have to lose everything else, so be it. At the end of the day, the only thing that's going to matter when I get to heaven is did I know Jesus? He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or he's going to say, depart from me because I don't know you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get there, Jesus better look at me, give me a high five and say, good job, Trav, you can come on in. That's the kind of relationship I want to have with him. I remember, I love baseball. I love the St. Louis Cardinals. It's God's team. Some of you seem to like this Cubbies team that all of a sudden has risen to popularity, but it's all started with the Cardinals. Some of you like the Yankees, and we'll, we'll pray that God would forgive you. I love baseball. I love it. I love everything about it. I love the mechanics of it. I love the way the game works. I love going to watch it play. Uh, I, I love everything. And some of you are going, baseball is so boring. It's because you don't get it, and that's okay. Because if you understood the, the, all of the strategy that goes in to people who are standing in the exact same places, pitch after pitch after pitch, and why are they where they're at, and what are they doing, and how they're working to make everything come around. I love the game of baseball, everything about it. It's what makes America, America. 
Not football. Not football. Listen, 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 listen. Don't, don't give me that. Don't give me that. Don't. Now, if we're talking about OU Sooners football, that's a different story, okay? Or, or the Dallas Cowboys. Then, okay. Not, not that Houston team. No, no Texans. Uh-uh. Can't root for anything that says Texas in the name. Sorry. Back to baseball and what really matters here. Okay. With baseball, there's, there's a, a mechanism that goes into it, right? There's, there's pitching, there's strategy that happens, and what pitch are they going to throw now? And, and, and I love because I, I used to pitch and I used to play catcher, um, and, and, and I, I love what the whole idea of the way this works. Is he going to throw a fastball? Is he going to throw a curveball? Is he going to throw a changeup? How are they going to pitch this guy? And now uh, even professional teams have got, gotten into what is called small ball, okay? Like if you ever watch a baseball game and all of a sudden the second baseman is in right field, it's because they're playing small ball, and the shortstop is actually behind second base. And some of you are looking at me like, what in the world? Just, just hang on. It'll make sense in a second. They're, they're positioning because the pitcher is going to throw the ball so as to produce a specific hit in a specific place if the guy hits it. So he's going to pitch him, if they're, they're shifted to the right, he's going to pitch him low and away. If it's a right-handed batter, they're going to pitch him low and away. So that as he comes through the baseball, he's going to have no other choice but to try to hit it to right field. That's the goal. Hit it that way. If you pitch him that way, it works. But, but at times, there's, there's a mistake that happens. And, and I remember I was, I, was, I was down watching the Oklahoma City Dodgers play, and there was one of those mistakes that happens, right? And, and the pitcher gets up there, and he's supposed to throw a curveball that's supposed to end up out of the strike zone low and away and in the dirt. And he didn't quite get it low and away and in the dirt. Where he got it was right over the sweet spot. And, and our, our, our cleanup hitter just turned on it and hit it over the, the, all the boards out there in the back in the left field. I mean, it was one of the most impressive home runs I've ever seen in person in my life. It was amazing. The, the point is, is, when we start talking about, about baseball, when we talk, start talking about there's a design and there's a game plan and there's a way all of this is supposed to work, if you've never experienced how all of this happens, if you've never experienced the smell of the grass, if you've never experienced watching them chalk the, chalk the field and drag the field and experience watching that baseball fly off of the bat as you watch it sail into left field, if you've never experienced any of that, it doesn't quite make sense. But, but when you work at it day in and day out, it produces something that you're able to do. Now, now, now the, the other thing that's unique about baseball, besides the strategy and all that, is there's certain rituals that go with baseball, right? My wife didn't understand it. She, she's not a baseball fan to begin with. It didn't break her heart like it did mine when Cade decided he didn't want to play baseball anymore. I went into deep, deep, deep dark depression, deep, dark depression for a long time because my firstborn child did not love the same thing that I loved. Heartbreaking. So we're watching the World Series, or the, the College World Series, and and guy hits a home run, and he's running in the dugout. Everybody's giving him a good game. They're swatting him on the tail, right? Patting him on the tail as he goes in, there, and Rachel's like, why do they do that? That's so weird. You don't get it. Like, what do you want him to do? Everybody slap him on the back? The man has to go play a ball game. You swat him on the back. That's what you do. You give him a good game. When I get to heaven... 
Jesus is going to give me a high five or a good game as I go in. Like, that's the point. We're that close. You, you don't just walk up and do that today, right? Like, like if you see somebody that you have seen, haven't seen in a long time and they're walking into a store, you don't just give them a good game. That's weird. They call the police on people for that, right? You know, but if it's my kid and he's walking past me, good game, Cade. You swallow, hey, that was a great job. I'm proud of you. You did a good thing. Happens all the time. Here's the point. I want to know him that well. I want to know Jesus to the point that when I get to heaven, he can give me a high five and a good game because we're close, where he can tell me, you did good, kid. I'm proud of you. You did an amazing thing. But that doesn't happen if I'm not fruitful with what he's placed in my life and if I'm not faithful to know him day in and day out. We have to spend time growing in that relationship, and that doesn't happen overnight. I want to get to know him. I want to know him well. I want to know him inside and out. I want to know everything that there is about him. That's the process. We also have to make sure that the fruit remains. Bear fruit and then make sure that fruit remains. Discipleship is a huge deal. Discipleship is letting someone get so close to you and so personal in your life that they see every aspect of it. Another way to say it is to mentor someone, to allow men to tour your life. That's what discipleship is. It's allowing them to get so close to you that they see your flaws. They see everything that was wrong, see all the mistakes that you made. When Rachel and I do premarital counseling, we, we typically, um, uh, it gets fairly involved. When we can work our schedules to make this happen, it gets fairly involved. And, and we have these, these young couples that come over to our house. Um, uh, it, we've gotten to, to doing so many, and we can't do it this way all the time anymore, but we have them over to our house and it's like a four-hour process, the first session. And my goal in that first session is to make somebody cry. I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I, want, I want to make somebody cry. Because we've hit a nerve, right? How many of you wish that somebody would have dealt with the issues that you and your spouse had before you got married? Show me. You don't have to, like, take it out on your spouse because you're sitting next to them, but a lot of us do, right? I, I can remember one time we're sitting there, we're doing marriage counseling, and we've been at this for, they come over, they, they eat a meal with us, they watch how we interact with our kids. Sometimes it's really good, and sometimes it's not the most shining example of what you should do. Sometimes we tell them, hey, don't do it that way. Okay, that's, Lord, forgive me. You know, we have those moments, right? That's the point. But we're sitting there, we're sitting around the table and this young couple and we're about done and, and he had told me before he came, he said, listen, make sure we talk about the in-laws. It's a really big deal right now. Oh, okay, I forgot. I forgot. We get done. It's, they've been there since six. It's now creeping up on 10. All right, I think we ought to call tonight. We'll see you guys back here in two weeks. I said, oh no, wait, I forgot. I forgot, I forgot, I forgot. We didn't talk about in-laws and she burst into tears. And on the inside, I'm like, yes, Right? We're getting somewhere. We're dealing with a real serious issue, right? When we, have dis when we have people over for premarital counseling, the reason we do it that way is because you get down to the nitty-gritty. You don't just cry in front of everybody, do you? We, we don't just run out and say, hey, you know what? Me and my, my future mother-in-law, I don't like her. I can't stand her. She doesn't like me. She can't stand me. She doesn't want me to marry her baby boy. And how in the world are we supposed to have a marriage if we can't deal with this? That's not the kind of business you just air in front of everybody. But in the safety and the confines of our house, 
in front of children who ain't going to remember anything if they're not already in bed, that's okay. Why? Because we're dealing with real issues and real struggles. And they see how we work through it. And they see at times that Rachel is kicking me under the table because I won't shut my mouth and I've gone on too long or I've said something I shouldn't have. They see how that all works out. And we learn how to deal with it. That's what discipleship is. Hey, let me help you through these struggles. Let me help you deal with these moments. This is hard. This is painful. But we can get through it. But you've got to be that real and you've got to be that honest and you've got to be that open to allow them into your life. So let me ask you this question, church family. And I'm not looking for a raise of hands, okay? Whose life has been bettered, improved, or made more like Jesus because of your investment into their lives? Whose life has been changed for the good because you were a part of it? When was the last time that I made a deposit into someone else's life that was not a monetary handout, yet still cost me deeply? My time, my other resources, those things made such a significant difference. See, those are discipleship questions to wrestle with. Whose life is better because you invested in them? This is when the fruit of the Spirit shines in our lives, when we're giving away and we're giving it in such a way that it can't be returned. When you do something in someone's life to make their life better and they can't change it. You see, all through the New Testament, the church was known for their love for one another. And in the time of the Roman plague, if you were a Christian, when the, when the plague was sweeping through Rome, if you were a Christian or a family member of yours was a Christian, you had an 80% higher success rate of, of making it through the plague than others did. Why? Because Christians would love you regardless of whether or not it cost them personally. We've got to get back to that. Fruit is also something, it's also how we respond when the things in our life happen that we don't like. That's a fruitful moment as well. You see, when things happen in our life that we don't like, do we respond in such a way that produces righteous fruit because we allow the things that we don't like in our life to produce the growth and the gain that they're capable of spiritually in our lives? Or do we run like little small children and whine and cry to mom because our big brother hit us? Now, how many of you like hamburgers or steak? How many of you like the smell that the cows that produce the hamburger and the steak leave behind? I don't like driving through West Texas because of all of the cattle farms. I hate it. I don't like it. Yet, for so many, what that smells like is money. And it smells like fertilizer. And the excess and the waste that these cattle leave behind is amazing what the barnyard produces and growth in the plants that it's applied to. Here's what I'm saying. Some of the worst, most terrible times in your life that are the smelliest, that are the most awful can produce the most fantastic growth in our lives. We've got to be willing to allow that to be applied. I don't like it any more than you do. But we've got to be willing to take those terrible moments and say, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to hang in here for the glory of God. The valuable moments in our life are often produced in seasons that seem the most terrible. Let me tell you a story as we close. I read this story recently and I thought it fits so very well, especially here at July 4th. It's, it's not about our independence and about our freedom. It's about when slavery was abolished in 
um, in Jamaica. So, so just hang with me as I, as I share this story with you. There was a man named William Nibs. He gathered 10,000 slaves on July 30th, 1838. On July 30th, as midnight approached, they were celebrating the new Emancipation Proclamation Act that would abolish slavery on the island. They'd built in a huge coffin, an immense ginormous coffin, and into it they placed whips and branding irons and chains and fetters of all kinds, slave garments, and all the things that represented the terrible slavery system that was now coming to an end. At the first stroke of the bell on July 31st, Nibs shouted out, the monster is dying. At each stroke of the bell that followed, this cry was repeated, and the great crowd of 10,000 voices joined in that cry. And at the twelfth stroke of midnight, voices cried out, The monster is dead! The monster is dead! Let's bury him! Then they nailed down the coffin lid and lowered it into a huge grave and covered it up. That night, every heart rejoiced. Ten thousand voices grew hoarse, shouting and crying with joy. Once they were in bondage to slavery, but now they were free. And as joyous of a celebration as it is, there's a tragic side to that story as well. While many rejoiced in their new freedom and liberty, there were some slaves that lived on remote areas of the island that did not know they had been legally set free. And because they didn't know, for many years after the Emancipation Proclamation had been made a law, they still continued to serve as slaves to their masters. Their former masters successfully kept the news from them as long as they could. By law, they had been declared free men and did not have to live as slaves any longer. But because of their ignorance of the truth, it kept them in bondage. Now, let me tell you what's an even sadder story. Today, if we'd hear a story of something like that happening, we'd be shocked. We'd be sympathetic. We'd even be angry. But the truth is, that same type of thing is happening in our day. Jesus Christ, because of his victory against sin on the cross, has issued an emancipation proclamation of liberty and freedom from sin to everyone on this earth. But like some of these Jamaicans were, there are those today that just don't understand that they are no longer have to be slaves to sin anymore. The devil's trying to keep that hidden from their mind. The message of the cross is this, that Satan has, has been defeated, sin's penalty has been paid, and through a relationship with Jesus, we can be free indeed. That's the truth. We can be free indeed. We no longer have to live as slaves. But you have to experience the truth for yourself. If we're going to be free indeed, we have to experience it personally and intimately, in our heart, deep down inside. We have to know that it's real. We have to experience it for ourselves. Some things can't be learned by osmosis. I wish that it could. I would sleep with a book on my head every night if osmosis were true, but it's not. You have to experience reading the material to know it. You have to experience the saving grace of Jesus to be saved. You have to experience what freedom in the Spirit is to know what it is. It's not something that others can have for you. I can tell you all about the best steak I've had in my life, but until you've had it, you won't believe me. You're going to run to the best steak you've ever had in your life. The one I've had is better. Because I've had mine. Oh, you're not getting, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. They're not, they're not getting it, Josh. I could tell you all about the best Mexican food I've had in my life. 
You wouldn't believe me. Like I, I ate it. You didn't. Mm. I could tell you about the best vacation I've had in my life, but you wouldn't believe me because you, you haven't experienced it. I could tell you about the best hamburger. I could tell you about the best everything else in my life. I, I could tell you about the best golf game I've ever played. I, I could tell you about the best uh, golf shot ever hit. It wouldn't matter because it's mine. Free indeed means you are free because you have experienced the same grace, the same salvation, the same freedom in the spirit because of who he is. You have to experience it. I can't have that experience for you. And today, today you have the chance to experience that freedom. You have the chance to walk in it. You have the chance to know Jesus the way that I know him, but for yourself. But you have to experience it. I can't do it for you. But today you can. Oh, today you can. Do you know what it's like to have that headache completely, immediately taken away? Do you know what it's like to not be able to see because cataracts are so bad in your eyes and then after prayer immediately you're able to see perfectly? I don't know that experience. Let me tell you about Violet McMullen. She does. Because we prayed for her and immediately she was able to see. Listen, what have you experienced? With every head bowed and every eye closed, perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Uh, you've heard about him, but you don't know him. You, you've heard that it's true. You've heard that he saves. You've heard that he heals. You've heard that he redeems, that he sets free. You've heard about him, but you don't know him. Today, if that's you and you're here and you want to get to know this Jesus that I'm talking about, the one who frees us completely from the very beginning, the one who says immediately you are free and you are mine, the one who says you can experience this freedom day in and day out for the rest of your life. If you want to experience and know him, will you slip up a hand? Anybody here today? Anybody at all? Come on. Here's the thing. I believe everyone here knows him, but we still ask every time. But maybe you're here today and you don't know him like you want to. You don't know him as intimately and closely as you would like. You're not sure that when you get to heaven, he's going to give you a high five in a good game and tell you to go on in. You're not sure that he might not have to look your name up just to make sure it really is on the book. But you want to get to know him better. You want to pursue him. You want to make it your life's ambition to know him better than you know anyone else in this world. If that's you, you want to, you want to make that commitment. I want to know him. Would you slip up a hand? I want to pursue the Lord and get to know him better. Anybody this morning, all right? Okay. Who else? All right. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everyone to stand all across the room. In just a moment, our elders and prayer team are going to make their way down, and we're going to be here around these altars to pray with you. And here's the thing. They're going to sing this song. They're going to sing the I Will Pursue You. And I want, to, I want everyone here to take a few minutes and just worship the Lord. And as you sing that song, make that your heart cry. But if you raised your hand, and elders, prayer team, you guys make your way. Come on ahead. If you raised your hand or you need prayer for anything, we want to agree with you in prayer.